Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Thank you for standing. We welcome you here today. If this is your first time, we thank you for being with us. And whoever you are, we thank you for being here. We appreciate you being here. And um, hallelujah. I've always joked, and uh, my wife sitting right there says I'm weird. So, um, welcome to the club. So, hallelujah. And I'm half joking there. And in the other half, I'm not. But uh, I appreciate being here today. And first, I just, um, I just have a comment or two I want to make. And I've just noticed, really in the last years... Um, I am just really alarmed, and I, I will respect Brother Boyd's uh, position. He tries to not to make this political, and I will try uh, this pulpit political is what I mean. But I am truly alarmed at the position that our country is going in, and um, I, it just really astounds me. It is just... Um, uh, whatever position you're in, and please believe me, I am not speaking in any party. I'm just speaking of doing that which is right and doing that which is right for America. And it doesn't matter to me what party you're affiliated with. Let's come together as, a, as an American people and do what's right for our country. And it just seems like we have the most division in our country, and it's just where the Bible says to pray for the leaders. Um, it doesn't matter to me. The Bible says God is in control, so we pray for the leaders, whoever that may be. But it just seems like there is a lot of division. There's a lot of laws that that, that is in effort to be changed. Um, it just seems like the value of life. Uh, and, and, and Solomon said it from way, way, way back, you know, don't think that you're being picked on. It's all been done before. I'm telling you, it's all in the Bible. When you think it's gross, I hate to say it, but just go to the Old Testament and start reading. It's all there. It's all been done. It's all, all that's different today is that it can happen in Africa, and you can pick up your phone and read about it in a matter of minutes. That's what's different today. And just so it's just the, the media pushes this. So when they get on uh, a wounded animal, they ride it until it's buried, and then they ride it some more. So that's what's different today to me. But I'm just saying it, it, it's alarming to me. Um, but it is just truly, um, I would think, a sign of the times. And to me, that is what makes church more precious. Uh, just our, our short time that we're here together because um, the Bible says where sin did abound, grace did the more. So God is telling us as dark and bleak as it may be. Now, we know that we have to live, we have to work, we have to supply for our family. That is 
um, a God-given principle to do. So it is not all just, um, forgive me for this saying, but wine and roses. We have to go work. So the position that you have to leave here and be in, the Bible says, where sin did abound, you may have to go be in a rough situation. But the Bible says, as rough as that situation may be, God's going to give you the grace to bear what's ever in that situation. It's not that it's going to be where you get in that situation and, and, and the Spirit of God is going to have to submit to that sin. No, it's just the opposite. Where sin did abound, grace did the more abound. So God said, come in here, take this time that you have with me, honor it as precious, gain everything you can. And when you leave here and you go back to the world, then I'll give you the strength that you need to stand when you're out there. So it's just, it's just that everything that the Christian is made subject to, and it's just... Um, it's, it's, it's media. I really believe it is because literally we know from Scripture it has always been out there. But now it's just more obvious. It's just sin. It's just we want to sin and we want to put it in your face. And just pardon me for being blunt about it. But that's just literally the way it is. So now, our Scripture, literally our lesson today I would say is on the, the, this month is called Living Unselfishly. And that flies in the face of us already. Because if we, you know, uh, the old joke about McDonald's, um, you know, you, or is it Burger King? I don't forgot. The one that says you can have it your way, I don't even know which one it is. Burger King. Okay, we got some Burger King. <laughs> Pardon me, McDonald's. But um, it says you can have it your way. But Jesus is our example, chose to live his life unselfishly. And we, you know, we grow up with that mentality. Believe me, I'm proud to be an American. I really am. But we get that mentality, I am an American, therefore don't tell me what I need to do. I am an American. I have the right to choose to do what I want to do. You're not going to tell me to drive 55. If I want to drive 65, I'll drive 65. As long as there's no law enforcement around, I'll drive 75. I'm an American. I can do what I want to do. And that's sometimes that's the way we think and that's the way we act. And, and we can't let that bleed over into our spirituality. The Bible, there, there is no, no in-between. The Bible is full of absolutes. And sometimes that, you know, we find that a little hard sometimes. You know, the Bible says, here is the line and don't you cross it. Here is the line and don't be trying to see how close you can get to it. It is just full of do's and don'ts. And so this is the, uh, of what Jesus did for us. I want to use two examples before we actually begin. If you want to just follow on the screen with me. But Jesus was our example. He lived as we can't even imagine really and truly, I believe, what he did. And one example, I just want to use two um, both of them is out of Revelation. This is the, the fifth chapter of Revelation, Revelation 5. This is where, fourth chapter is where the, the vision goes to heaven. John was on the earth. Now the vision goes to heaven, the fourth chapter. This, this is the fifth chapter. And he's standing there. Somebody has to break the seals for the tribulation to start. The tribulation actually begins in the sixth chapter when the seals is loosed. Okay, but they got to have somebody to loose the seals. John is weeping because 
the angel asked who is worthy to loose the seals. There's nobody worthy. So then we, we start in verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. Now he's speaking, that's Old Testament language, the tribe of Jesse, the root of David, has prevailed, the line of the tribe of Judah, speaking of Jesus. So verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders... Now you get that in the middle, in the middle, in the middle is what it's saying. Stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, what I want to show you, stood as a lamb as it had been slain. Now the, the preceding verse said that it's the line of the tribe of Judah. But to open the seals... Here is somebody had to be worthy to do this. Now, the next verse says, what they beheld is a lamb as it had been slain. That's not a pretty sight. For God to be, now, if you've been to church very long and heard very much preaching, you've heard of what's called a kinsman redeemer. There had to be somebody. Jeremiah spoke of this. This is in Ruth. There had to be somebody that was kin who had lost a possession. And the Bible even says, Paul told us, that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth. That is a woman in birth, travaileth in pain until now. There had to be somebody, a kinsman redeemer, that could redeem earth and humanity, and there was nobody. But they said, the angel told John, Wipe your tears. I have found someone that can do that. And it was the lamb. And we know the lamb as Jesus Christ. So here he takes and he sees not a lion, but he sees a lamb. So this is God. Here's what I, the reason I said where we can't imagine. Because we can't imagine heaven with all its majesty and God leaving his throne to take on the role of a servant and allowed himself to be crucified for humanity. Call yourself as spiritual if you want to be. I don't think we'll never imagine that until we get to heaven. I just, I'm, I'm not saying that you couldn't, but I'm saying to be able to comprehend that of a place that we can only read about, but we can't imagine the splendor and the majesty Everything we have is just, you leave it alone, it turns to dust. And we have to clean and just mop and just wipe everything every day to just halfway keep it clean. And here God leaves eternal heaven and takes on a, a, the, the, this human flesh and allowed itself. And the angel points to John and said, you see that lamb there as it had been slain? That is the one that's going to loose the seals. And thus begins the tribulation. Now that is what God did for humanity, for us. Now turn back a couple chapters. I'm going to go back. That's one example. The next example, I want to go back to chapter 1. This is John. This is basically the first chapter of Revelation is, is basically an introduction. Is the Lord, the Spirit of God talking with John. Here he takes and he sees in chapter 1 and verse 10... 
says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I don't think that's no play on words. We want to see heaven? It's going to take that Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And the way you can remember this, he starts with unto Ephesus. Now, if you was to look at this on a map, Ephesus would be here, and it goes clockwise, and they just go right around. If you was a courier taking this message, it would just start here, and they would just go just like this right on around. He says, take this to Ephesus and, and then to Samaria, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And this is what I want you to notice. John, he's turning to see the voice. That's what gets his attention. Behind him, he's trying to picture what this voice is. It is the sound of a trumpet. And it's not a trumpet like we hear. But this is the only thing John can come up with. It sounds like this blast of a trumpet. And John says, I got to see what this is. So John turns to see the trumpet. And then he turns and he sees, and then I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, if this don't just really see the heart of God, I don't know what does. Here is God. He's knowing that John is trying to see him. But you can read this further. I won't read any further, but you, you can read this. The seven golden candlesticks represent the seven churches. So the first thing God let John see was, I want you to see my churches. And Jesus was standing in the midst. So the churches are surrounding God. And Jesus let, it ain't like, oh, here I am. Take a look at me. No, sir. He said, you see my churches. And we picture them churches. We just, I believe we picture them churches as a lampstand with a candle in them. Do not picture them like that. This is a long time ago. And these lampstands, lampstands was all burning lamps. And what produced the fire was oil. And <laughs> Pentecostals don't need to know what oil represents. The oil in the lampstand is what produced the light. So it was the lampstands that God let John see first instead of himself. So there is a representative or an example that I wanted to use there again of Jesus. He knew John wanted to see that voice, but God said, no. You see my church first, then you can see me. So he takes and, let, and lets him see that. Then, now, as Jesus is our example, we have to learn generosity. As we learn this, as we know this, and this is not something I believe that we just get and we do overnight. It's something like we just grow up with this. Um, we, neither one of my twins, or excuse me, our twins is here. So, um, I said that like I had all control of that. But one thing that one of them would do, if you gave them two bottles and you left them alone, when you come back, one of them would have both bottles. So that is just something that, that can be in our nature. We want to take, you know, not maybe everybody has that. Some maybe has it more than other because this one did. He, he would take both bottles. 
and, and, but to be able to be generous. Some people, you know, is just prone to be generous. Some are not. So um, we have to learn to be. And it, it's just that we just, as we learn, and I really believe this. What is a few, and I'll just use a hundred. What is a hundred years to eternity? I was speaking with Brother Fierce Wednesday night, and I, and I love the concept of time, and I've said it like this. God knows the end from the beginning. Now think of that, what I just said. And that's the only way I know how to phrase it. Because I live in the concept of time. But I'm speaking of a God that has no beginning and no end. But I'm saying a God that knows the end from the beginning. That there is no beginning and no end. You see what I'm saying? But the only way I know how to phrase it is that he does. And I can't even imagine that. He has no beginning and no end. But because I live in the, in the confines of time, I have to put that limit on it, a beginning and an end. So what is a hundred years to an eternity? So how much more important is what we do here in the few years that we have compared to an eternity? You know, I remember years ago, this lady asked me when I was small one time, never forgot it, what are you doing? I said, I'm killing time. As wisdom would tell me, that will catch you one day. And at 61, I can tell you, it is on the way. Time is the most precious commodity. And sadly, sometimes it takes us a while to realize that. Now, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, this is our scripture. It says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, sparingly, it said, he's using an agricultural term. Jesus did that, I wish I knowed how many times, and one of these days I'm going to find that out. He used agricultural terms to make a spiritual point a lot of times. So he's using this in a, in a way that, that we a lot of people can relate to. What you sow is what you're going to reap. That's an agricultural term, but we understand it fully. So he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Now, this is the only time that it's used in the Bible, sparingly. This is the only time it's used. But what I want to show you, he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Only time. But he said... If you sow bountifully, you shall reap bountifully. Now, this is a comparison that I found unbelievable. When you take the words that is used for bountifully, it is used 896 times. One time to 896. God said, the choice is yours. You make the decision. You can throw out a few seeds, or as the Bible says, you can cast your bread upon the water because you will find it. So that is truly. Now, it says, as he has purposed in his heart, just how much of your heart do you want to give? Now, purposed, 
This is the only time in the Bible. And it says to bring forward. It says, so let him give. Literally, that means as he has purposed. That is like a phrase if you have a storehouse. As you have purposed to take out of your storehouse is what that means. As he has purposed in his heart. How much are you going to give? You make that decision. God says, you make that decision. How much are you willing to give? Cheerful? It said God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful? That's the only time it's used in the Bible here as given. God said to be cheerful. Not a, don't do that grudgingly. God said don't do that. And now he takes and he said to be joyous. That's what it means. Eight, abound. He says God is able to make grace abound toward you. Now, I'm a numbers man, so this excited me. Abound here. It says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That means that God is able to exceed any fixed number. If God, is the man asked God, how many times should I give him? Seven times? And God says, no, 70 times seven. So God would ask you, if you knew, and we all have these days, I dread this day. <laughs> I dread this day. You just know it's going to be rough, or you've got a task ahead of you that you just really dread, and you just, and, and if God could come down and ask you, how many times do you think you're going to need grace? And you would say, I don't know, at least a hundred times. Well, God said, that's okay. I got a thousand times. Whatever number you might have, God is able to exceed the fixed number. And, I, and, and, and don't, don't go crazy on me here like thinking we're abused this. Thinking this is mercy. This is mercy. I'm in the Bible. To any fixed number that you have in your mind, God is able in his mercy to give us help and strength is what I'm saying. He is able to do that. Now... He said to do this, uh, that you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. That means the necessities of life. God is able. He won't leave us, nor forsake us. He will help us. He will do this. Now, as the day of Pentecost fully came, when you read in the Bible, it says when Pentecost was fully come, sometimes that's just, that's just, they waited 120 disciples, they gathered in the upper room and Jesus was with them. Pentecost, 50 days, when the Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Sometimes we want things to look, look, Lord, I've been here 10 days. How much longer have I got to wait? But God knows all things. It was a feast of weeks, seven sevens plus one. When 50 comes, then I'll do it. But they didn't know that. God was with them 40 days then there was, uh, 10 days later, the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. So they came, they gathered, they waited, but God said, whatever you do, do not leave this house. Stay in this upper room until you be endued with power. So they stayed. God sent his blessing. The power was on them. The hungry disciples, they didn't know what was going to happen, but a dispensation was changing. The dispensation of grace was going to be ushered out. And this is the way God chose to do it. He was going to put them, the spirit came upon them. God said, I will put my spirit, as he told them in the gospels, I will put my spirit in you. 
And so they did that. They seen that. And the Spirit changed them. So they took, they was there. And these disciples, they went. They had close fellowship with one another. It literally changed them. It was just like they went through. They seen this in Acts 2 and 44. And all that believed, Acts 2 and 44, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and they sold their possessions and goods and parted to them all men as every man had need, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart and praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, we know this. Like I said, the Lord was with them for 40. Ten more days, Pentecost came. God poured his spirit out. And then this is only in Acts 2.44. So not very much time had elapsed. So in Acts 1, I think it's 11, is where the angels asked the disciples, why are you gazing up? This same Jesus that you've seen taken up is coming back again in like manner. And a lot of people get all upset about this, where he says they had all things coming. They are just fresh from seeing God taken away. So their possessions meant nothing to them. You got something that the church needs, you can have it. You take whatever I have, and I'll give it to the church. Now, we know that in the future, we know in the future of the church that this is not a policy that was practiced. So some people wigs out. This was not a cult in the making. So that's nothing about what that meant. This was people that was so affected about what the Holy Ghost has done and seeing God taken up that they literally said, if I have a possession, now let, let me just say this for the record. Do I think they went and sold their home and land? No, that's me. But if they had something that would benefit the church or they seen a brother in need, yes. If any way I can help, yes. Let me do everything I can because I think they literally believed as, as with all that was in them that God is going to come right back. So I'm not going to let nothing of this world hold me here. If I've got anything that I can do to promote the kingdom of God, take it. So that's where it says they sold it. They gave it. They was in the temple breaking bread from house of head, house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There was no division. There was nothing in the church. The church had one goal and one purpose. We are going to stay together. We are going to stay saved. We are going to see God when he returns, and that is our mission. So that was there, and and the Bible told them, it says, you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's not a suggestion. That is a command. When I put my spirit upon you, you will be a different creature. That is not a guess. That is, that is a fact. Now, did they know, little did they know at this time, how far-reaching this effect was going to be. It was just they hadn't experienced the Holy Ghost like this before. They had been around God and seen God touch people, lay hand on people, and then be healed. But they hadn't personally, they had prayed for people and seen God do works but to have the, that spirit literally dwelling inside of them was going to change them even more than that they was already changed. Because seeing God move and minister 
was, uh, it was just fantastic. But what would it be like to have that same spirit inside of you? It would just be, it would just be totally different whatsoever. But we have a glimpse of this generosity even in Acts 11 when Antioch sent provisions to the church in Judea in the time of great uh, hands, uh, in the time of great uh, famine. And we see this, but we know that this was done. The Bible says in Acts, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt at Judea which also they did and sent it by the elders, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, as we know as Paul. Now, for the Bible says, and and I want to point this out, uh, then the disciples, in in Acts 11, 29, then the disciples, every man according to his ability. That's what the Bible says. Don't compare yourself among yourself. Where it says there, according to his ability. That's the only time that's used in the Bible, ability. That's the only times it's used. We're different. Our natures, our personalities. Some is more outgoing, some's more reserved, some has more talent. That doesn't mean God loves us more than the other. We're made unique. God made us, made us who we are, and gave us the talents we have to do the work specifically in his kingdom, what we are designed to do. But the Bible plainly says, every man according to his ability. And I can't say that, that I can't stand and, and, and present something like somebody else or, or I can't sing, like, I can't sing at all, but uh, can't do this or that because I would always have myself, we have a tendency to always put ourselves lower than somebody else. And I would never say I'm higher than somebody else. All I'm saying is I'm striving to be what God wants me to be. And that's what I got to do. That's what I got to do. And that's that's the same with all of us. The Bible does say every man according to his ability. And that's, uh, but a major president, uh, president president was set in the information of the church regarding this generous giving, they did this. They sent it by the hands of these two, and it opened the door that allowed blessings to flow in the church to different areas of lives in the church, and we see that. Now, this was a powerful concept for those who are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, learning that helping others was really going to be helping you. And we see that just in natural life because if someone's truly in need and you help out, you know, and, and here's another thing. If you help someone and you give yourself to someone, whether it, it doesn't matter whether it's time, talent, money, it, it doesn't matter. And, and they, they misuse what you've done. Don't fret yourself about that. Don't feel bad about that. You've done what the Father asked you to do. And I'm telling you, you will be rewarded as if that person did everything that they should have done. If they took and totally misused what you've done, that has no effect on you. Believe me, believe me, believe me. That has no effect on you. Now... One of the fastest ways to destroy the power of greed is through giving. 
literally is to give, is to give. Second Corinthians, we see this concept of sowing and reaping in the area of giving, of giving. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, 5 said, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before thee unto you and to, and to make up beforehand your, your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as matter of bounty, not as of covetousness, but I say he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Now, Jesus did this so many times in his examples, and we see that. He wrote, he wrote that giving should be of a willing response to God's grace and not something done just out of grudgingly. Jesus and Paul both reveal that blessings are directly related to giving. Now, and where we have to be careful, even as Christians, and just say, well, I'm giving because it's the right thing to do. Uh-uh. Can't do that. I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I may have done that in the past, but Lord, forgive me. I'm giving because God has blessed me to be able to give. Because God has blessed me in so many ways. And that, that is the reason God wants us to give. That is the reason. Now, This is vital to our understanding of what Paul meant when he wrote that God loves a cheerful giver, that God loves generosity. So what does it mean to be a cheerful giver? It's when we give with the right motives. It's when we understand what God did. That's why, I, that's why you know, what little bit I can do for the kingdom, I can't even come close in comparing that what God did. I mean, Lord, I'm, I, I, I do such a small amount and God is thankful for what I do. He loves the generosity that when we give unto him our time, our talents, you see someone, you help someone. God said, that's what I have designed you to do. That's what I want, helping one another, being kind and affectionate to one another, seeing someone in need, helping them. Not and just that's what I want, and that's what God will will reward you for in doing this. Y'all better tighten up. I got a witness over here. Now it takes time to sow. We've been around farm country. We know you have to prepare the ground. There's a time to do it. You have to do this. First of all, Paul mentioned that God's grace will abound in our lives. The reward for giving is rarely, rarely a one-time gift. God takes into account our willingness to give and rewards us then and in the future when we do, when we take our time. God sufficiently gives unto us that which we need that's which our, our needs, that's not our wants, our needs. He will do this. The fi- sufficiency of God is not just to be blessed, for us to be blessed in the moment, but it's to be, to, to abound, to go on to every good work, as we see. 
God will multiply the seed when we sow. He will increase the first fruits of righteousness in us. In other words, God will say that we need to sow and asked us to do that, and then he'll bless us when we sow, when we do this. And then generosity is just not tied to financial giving. It is blessed in all areas of our life. It is our time. This is one thing that we are all equal in. We all try to some, we all try to manipulate it in some way, but we are all equal when it comes to time. We can we try to put as much as we can in that day, but there's still 24 hours for each and every one of us. We have we have to watch time and it is really and truly a precious commodity that God has given us. He's placed different talents and abilities within us. There's no greater value than we have other than time, and he's given us for us to use it. He's given us a treasure, and it's not money. He's given us his spirit. He's put that in us. He's given us strength to go on, and it's just we think that is sometimes it's been said that, you know, I think money can buy everything, and, you know, the old joke, it says, well, I, I, at least like to be the one to prove that wrong. <laughs> at least like to be the one to prove that wrong. But there, we have too many examples before us that people that it can prove that it does not buy happiness. And it can't buy you love. And it can't buy you peace. It can't buy you sleep. And so God is the only thing that when we have him, he can relieve our stress our anxiety. He can give us sleep like we've never had and peace. And just when you pray, when you go to him in prayer, when you tell him your needs, when you pray and thank him, it's just like a stress relief. And then when you pray for those around you, the surroundings, those things you would really like to change. And it's like I was telling Someone one time, you know, the Bible speaks of the word of God. It knows the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And I was speaking with an individual, and I said it like this. Um, I said, we still, at our church, we have um, prayer cards. And I told them, I said, what that means is we have these prayer cards, and you write out, if you wish, your request. And I said, what the Bible says, I believe, that sometimes we can write out what's wrong with us. And then sometimes we have an unspoken request. And sometimes we just raise our hand and say, if you ask me, I couldn't explain it. And I believe that's the way God is. If I can put it in words or if I can't, God still knows what I need. And when I'm praying and ask God to help me, and I've, I've literally believed this, if God was to say, Kenneth, what do you need? And I told him, God, I, I can't put it into words. He still knows what I need. I can't say, well, I, 
like you would turn to a friend and just say, if you could only see inside of me, God can see the little emotion inside of us and see what we need. And that I am thankful for. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So we know. One story I want to tell in the lesson in coming to a close. It said that um, there was a ministry um, man and his wife. They took and um, was ministering at a church. And... You know, was having it rough and tight and wasn't doing too good and um, financially. So they were saving all the money they could. They wanted to go to camp meeting. And they had been saving um, for months. And uh, evangelists come by and preached on sacrificial, sacrificial giving. So um, unbeknownst to... They never spoke, the man and his wife never spoke to each other. But over time, the Lord started dealing with them. Um, there was someone that was going to take an offering up, and God spoke to them. They had saved the money to go to camp meeting, and they was both looking so forward to it. And so I don't know which one, I can't remember out of the story which one spoke first, but one told the other, you know, I feel God that we should give this money that we have saved in this offering. And the other one said, well, I feel it in the Lord too, that we should do this. So they was happy they could give, <laughs> but yet they felt, you know, they really wanted to go to this meeting, you know, because to them that's, they needed, you know, the strength of the meeting. So time, you know, a few days, I think a week went past and, um, the man was outside doing something, and, and he heard a vehicle drive up. And uh, so he went outside, and it was um, a gentleman that he had been working with. Had um, Someone had been at the church and had left, and he told the pastor that uh, he said God had been dealing with him to give him. He said, give you this. So he went inside and counted it, and it was exactly half of what they needed. So he told his wife and they prayed and they was, um, he said, and he said they was actually praying, thanking the Lord for what he had done. And said some time had went by and said in a few minutes, um, the gentleman came back and, and said he sort of had his head hanging down and he said, you know, here's, said I had to come back and he said because the, Lord told me I had to come back and give you the rest of what I was supposed to give you. So they went back and counted it, and it was exactly of what the offering was. So they had enough to go to what they wanted to go. And, but it, um, situations like that is it just, you just learn over time that they're not easy. You have to do what God asked of us to do. Um, and that only comes through, as we say, experience, but that only comes through faith in God. And sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. God tests us, and, but this time it did, 
But the scripture does say, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured again unto you. So when the Bible says, with what you plant, that with what you reap. And that is the truth. And the last thing I want to leave with you is this. The Bible says, this is in Luke, excuse me, John 4. This is the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. This is at, towards the end of that. This is the Lord speaking. And he said, say ye not, there are yet four months, then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, the Bible says, literally, the Lord said, Say ye not that there are yet four months. The only time that phrase is used, four months, is right here. And this is a common phrase then, but this is the only time it's used in the Bible. What that means of the time that they sowed seed to harvest was four months. From the time you planted it, from the time you harvested. So God is saying, don't think you have time to relax. That they were saying, he's taking agriculture to make a spiritual point. They're saying, oh, I got four months, so I have time. But what I want you to look, he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, what God did not do is what that means. It says he, when he says, for they are white already. Now, he's talking about going and, and spreading the gospel. But when you look up the word white, it don't, he didn't say go out and collect the sinner, so to speak. He's calling the people, he said, white is bright and brilliant. He said, I got people, literally, that's everywhere. All you have to do is just lift up your eyes. God himself could have said, look, there's sinners everywhere. He didn't call them sinners. He said, for the fields are white. They're bright and brilliant. He says, the world's still claiming them, but I got people everywhere. All you have to do is lift up your eyes. God bless you. I'm going to ask you to stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.